Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Expect anything different. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up podcast. Busy podcast week. This is our third one of the week, but we are out. Myself and Big Randy out here in Chicago for the KPMG Women's PGA Championship. Uh, Randy, your first LPGA event of any kind. What are your first impressions? The tournament hasn't started yet. This is Wednesday that we're recording this, but what are your impressions? Well, first of all, it's thank you guys for letting me out of the kill house. It's <laughs> nice to see the sun every now and again. Um, yeah, great to be out here. This is one I've been looking forward to, as you said, never – I've never been to an LPGA event, so I was really excited to get out here and just, it's its all a new experience for me. Um, my first, I guess, initial impressions are uh, impressive in- infrastructure. Um, we are at, of course, Kemper Lakes. They have a small clubhouse, and they utilize it for players and kind of guests and, and meals, but its it's really not the focal point of anything this week. Uh, tons of man-made tents, portable structures, uh, so real real impressive operation going. Um, was fortunate enough, got to tag along in the Pro-Am yesterday and had a wonderful time. I think you'll you'll hear from, from Karen uh, Stupples later on, and obviously we got to play alongside Michelle Wee. Very, very easy to talk to, very outgoing. Uh, it was just a, a real kind of pleasurable four and a half, five hours to spend with them down-to-earth, approachable. It was a lot of fun. It's everything that, you know, we, we obviously, uh, Tron and DJ and I went out to the Kia Classic uh, in March, had a great experience at the LPGA. And Big Randy, unfortunately, didn't get to join for Germany, but to do a back-to-back stretch of Euro Tour and LPGA is just it, it just all the helpful people you meet and kind of the people that help tee you up to to get these interviews happen and stuff. It's just it's just wonderful structure, and it's, it's, it is a treat to be here. It's a really impressive operation, and it feels like a – Really big event, and the girls are super excited about it. So we're excited, and we got the chance to chat with Lydia Ko. We got 20 minutes with her. Um, we have a bunch of other interviews we're doing this week. Uh, these are going to be the ones you hear this week. Um, we spent about 20 minutes with her, and then we also spent about almost 40 with Karen Stupples, as uh, Big Randy mentioned, who works for the Golf Channel as a retired professional golfer. Uh, as soon as she, I didn't know a whole lot about her until she, as soon as she walked up yesterday, I recognized her voice from watching LPGA <laughs> coverage and her burr work on in other, other men's golf as well and stuff for the BBC. So you'll recognize her voice when you hear it. And she has some stories. She was awesome. She was not a, a scheduled guest. We had such a great time with her yesterday. We're like, uh, we are going to need you for the podcast immediately. So, yeah, uh, we're going to roll first into the Lydia interview, but first big Randy. Yeah, no, I was just going to mention, um, Golf Channel coverage all week. That's so right. So this will be coming out, uh, I believe, on Wednesday. You should be hearing this, maybe Thursday morning. Uh, but for sure, if you you know check it out on Golf Channel, uh, they will have live coverage Thursday through Sunday. Yeah, they're, they are blowing it out. They have a huge team here uh, this week, and we're excited to see the coverage. And excited to – I didn't get we didn't get to see much actual tournament golf when we went out to the Kia. So excited to actually walk around, follow some shots, follow some girls for a lengthy period of time, and uh, – really take the whole experience in but it's been it's been wonderful so far it's been a busy week but it's been a fun one looking forward to the championship well, i was started. gonna say more to come uh with some videos too we've had Correct. fun off the course so. so we got the lab uh the editing bay is very busy 
But real quick, before we do turn it over to Lydia Ko, uh, we do have Lydia and I have something in common as well as uh, my new best friend Michelle Wee. We all play the new graphene infused Chrome Soft X ball from Callaway. Uh, it was pretty. It was actually we had interchangeable golf balls that we could play during the pro am, so that was kind of cool. Uh, we did talk about which kind of ball she plays and what she looks for in a golf ball and. Well, how she tries to balance spin and distance and whatnot, and uh, it's it's clear that the Callaway Chrome Softball has made an impact on her game, and uh, Lydia does also play the same golf ball. So, uh, CallawayGolf.com for more information. CallawayGolf.com/slash/ChromeSoft. Uh, the 2018 ball is the ball that changed the ball. It has a softer feel with less spin off the tee and more spin around the greens. I promise it's unlike anything you've experienced in a golf ball on tour, and it's proven on all tours. Sergio's won with it this year. Phil has obviously won with it this year. Aaron Wise has won with it. We keep going, but you kind of get the picture. So uh, without further ado, let's turn it over to Lydia Ko first, and then we will be joined by Karen Supples. All right, welcoming in here at the KPMG Women's PGA, Lydia Ko. Uh, Lydia, you are a two-time major winner. Uh, I imagine you have a bit of a routine when it comes to showing up at a major now, but what is preparation like for a major? Is it any different than any other tournament? Um, I don't think I'd take it any differently. Uh, you know, in the first few years, I felt like, man, you know, coming into a major week, this is a major, this is a major, oh my God, I have to play while it's a major. But I'm trying to think of it less that way uh, and just don't take it any differently to any other event. And I think that just makes it, you know, a little easier on me, a little less stressful. So, yeah, I'm trying to, you know, get used to the golf course, um, get used to the conditions. And obviously, especially at a tournament like this where the course changes every year, um, you really want to get a good hang of it before Thursday comes. Sure. You've accomplished, obviously, so much at such a young age. Did you ever have any idea as to what you were doing from a historical standpoint, or do you have that perspective now at any point? Um, not at all. No? <laughs> I don't even know if it's sunk in yet. Um, you know, I think it's always been a dream of mine to play on the LPGA, you know, to hopefully, you know, be the number one ranked player. But I think all of those things kind of hit me a lot quicker than you could ever dream of. And obviously, I'm very fortunate in that aspect. Uh, but, you know, this is such a cool position to be in. And, you know, I'm um, just being on tour. I mean, this is my fifth year on tour already. Um, I feel like I'm 30, but I'm still 21. It's just legal. Um, but, you know, it, the girls are great. And I think that's why we have such a great time on tour. How, you, you've accomplished so much, obviously, um, already. Talk to us about how, how does the goal-setting process change to me week to week um i you know try and set goals uh, you know going into that week you know what position i want to finish or you know if i've been struggling let's say in the short game aspect you know try and improve my short game stats um or you know being more consistent with the driver i think i take you know small goals at a time um and then in the off season you know make goals so you know I know what I want to practice and what I want to work on, uh, you know, compared to the year before. Um, and you now I think big goals for me, um, as in results, uh, you know, I would love to, you know, be, you know, one of the few players to, you know, do the career grand slam. I think it's, uh, anybody's, uh, you know, and everybody's dream, um, to, you know, be, you know, somebody to do a grand slam, you know, whether that's in tennis or in golf or in any other sport, 
just to say that you've done the Grand Slam is, you know, very few people can say that. So that's, uh, you know, a big goal of mine. And I think I felt that more, you know, after being so close to being a win this uh, KPMG uh, event a, a couple years ago and the U.S. Women's Open that year too. So um, when you get closer, I feel like there's a bit more pressure, but it also gives you the confidence to say, hey, you know, you can do it. You know, you can be in this kind of position. And um just being in the first, uh, you know, Olympics uh, in back in Rio, um, mm-hmm. I think the, the Tokyo Olympics is definitely on my mind. You know, after the Rio, I said, "Man, it's another four years until the next one." But now it's like, "Oh my goodness, there's only you know it's just less It'll than be two here. years." Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, it just goes by fast. But I think those are some of my big goals, um, and just to be able to represent your country on an international stage like that doesn't happen very often. So I was going to say, you really seem to be in highly invested in the Olympics or was it was it like that in the build-up to it or when you got there did you realize it was a bigger deal than it was or why, why is the Olympics so important to you um you know in 2016 uh, you know I wasn't really sure oh my god what is the Olympics gonna be like is it gonna be different to a major championship is it just gonna be the same because a lot of the players you see are you know girls that I see on tour regularly so but um and even on the practice rounds I didn't really feel like it was any different but then on the first tee i don't think i've ever been that nervous in my life where i barely hit the club face (laughs) (laughs) and it's off a tee with a driver so um it did not go as straight as i had envisioned um but you know just to see you know the flag with you um and just to be able to represent not only yourself and your team but your country and everybody there is is definitely a cool feeling and for me it was really cool that uh, on the last day, almost like 15 New Zealand Olympians came and watched me play. And, oh, wow. you know, that doesn't happen either. So, yeah, um, I remember uh, Eric uh, Murray, who won the gold medal, he decided to come with his uh, gold medal to, to watch <laughs> oh, me nice. play. So <laughs> that was really, really cool. And, you know, he said he passed security and they were like, oh, my, what is this? And he's <laughs> like, oh, this is my gold medal here. So, yeah, no, I, I enjoyed it. And it's great that I get to meet other Olympians and, and kind of hear their stories. And, I mean, it just shows what a diverse thing sport is in general. Got to be careful when you're walking around with that that you don't get a reflection off the metal right <laughs> in your face. But it's interesting to kind of for your from your background to see that you you kind of have an identity with two countries, right? I mean, you you were born in South Korea, you moved to New Zealand, not even really being able to speak English. Do you remember I, how old were you when you moved to New Zealand, and what was that like to try to transition to that new life? Um, I think I was like six or seven, okay. um, and I the only letters in the alphabet I knew was A B C D. And I knew it as ABDC, so <laughs> so that was you know there's my English for you. Um, but you know I the, you know my golf coach, uh, first golf coach in New Zealand. You know he was obviously a Kiwi, and then I went to you know school with a lot of Kiwis. Um, so I think that's how kind of English came out to me. Um, and you know when you're at that age, you kind of pick it up a lot easier. Uh, but you know, I, I feel very proud to be, you know, have this South Korean background and you know, to also have grown up in New Zealand. And, you know, no matter if I play in Korea or New Zealand, I've been getting a lot of support from you know, everybody there. So uh, I think it's a pretty cool uh, cultures to be a part of. What kind of an impact did Seiri Pak, and we all know Seiri Pak had an enormous impact on Korean golf, but per, for you personally, did that did she have a big impact on you wanting to become a golfer? 
Yeah, um, you know, my parents actually did, didn't play golf before I started, so you know, I wasn't growing up into a golfing background. But somebody's hello. getting a phone call. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're good. Yeah. All right. <laughs> well, that was there. It. We go. That was, that's I, an interesting variable. Yeah. We're, we're in some random office here. We don't know. We didn't know the phone was going to ring. So. Yeah, I don't think we should pick it up. Probably. <laughs> That would have been a good, you know, yeah, a little twist improv, there. Have Lydia know. answer. Yeah. It was for Barbara, I think. <laughs> I mean, we could, one of us could pull Barbara <laughs> off. Um, yeah, but uh, you know, I didn't grow up in a golfing background, right. so um, you know, it wasn't like, hey, you know, you must play golf kind of thing. I think it was either golf or ballet. My parents were saying, and you know, with how unflexible I am thank <laughs> god it was not ballet um but you no know, Sari you know she was really one of the the first Korean on tour and she really showed a path for you know not only Koreans but a lot of players in Asia and I think gave a lot of hope and uh it's her 20th anniversary winning the U.S. Women's Open this year mm-hmm. um and I think she impacted a lot of lives and you know she gave hope to people in Korea my my mom was saying that it wasn't the best state that you know the whole of Korea was in and I think she gave hope to people there of you know somebody to look up to and somebody to be really excited to root for so um lucky for me I was able to play on tour her last couple years her last few years on tour um and I've gotten to know her and she's like a big sister of mine you know I went to last off season I went to you know near her hometown and we had dinner together and she's such a super sweet person and amazing person to talk to and just hear her stories and what it was like for her, you know, on tour, because it's a lot different sure. to right now. Who are some of your good friends out on tour? Who do you hang out with off the course some? Um, Danielle Kang. Yeah. Uh, you know, she's... She's uh, friends with everyone, isn't she? <laughs> she's, uh, she's, she tells people that I'm not her friend, but she's uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm her sister. Okay. So I'm like, thank God. At first I was like, oh, man, we're not uh, friends. I was then, like, where's this going? Yeah. <laughs> but no, she's like a big sister of mine. Um, I met her at the USM actually for the first time, the second one that she won. So, no, she's uh, super sweet and somebody I really look up to. Um, she's just a strong strong and amazing athlete so i i love her um and i love hanging out with the quarter sisters um who have been paired with a, a lot so i said yeah. i've been getting the quarter sandwich i got nelly <laughs> and then the week after i got jess and then the week after i got nelly so i think i'm bound to have you know both of them in one group so um yeah you know the girls are uh, amazing so it's endless um but I think those are a few, and I mean, Sue O, oh, who I've known since, you know, we were probably half our height right now and half our age. <laughs> we played with her down in Australia, actually. Oh, we did? were down there in November, yeah. Uh, super baked out day down in Australia. She was great. But yeah. this tour just seems like so much fun. I mean, we're kind of used to being on the PGA Tour, but just seeing how you guys all inter- interact with each other and just the whole culture just seems seems like it seems like so much fun i mean i imagine for somebody at your age i mean you've been around in the public for a long time but you're still very young that it just helps to kind of have friends out there with you at all times yeah i mean when we're out there playing uh you know obviously we're competitors and you know we're playing against each other but at the same time when you know somebody's hit a great shot you know we'll say hey great shot or you know congratulations and i think that's a great it's for barbara <laughs> um you know we're we just i think love each other's company um you know that's why sometimes we go and watch movies together or go out to dinner and no i think that's great that obviously at times (laughs) we're just gonna unplug the phone (laughs) 
This is a popular person. Yeah, seriously. Somebody must really need to be in touch with her. I, I don't even get three calls in a year. <laughs> <laughs> Take uh, care of that. Sorry yeah. about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you, you've obviously won this season on tour, so I definitely don't want to dwell too much on, on the struggles you've had in recent years. But I was curious as to whether or not, obviously you got up to this amazing start, and from, from some time in 2016 up until you won this season that your, your game did regress some. Is there anything that you look back at and kind of point as, as a turning point in any way in your game? And on the flip side, is there anything you've done to kind of reverse that to get yourself back on track this season? Um, I think, you know, obviously I made some big decisions. Um, but, you know, looking back now, I don't I don't regret any one of them. Um, you know, even from those decisions, I've changed decisions, you know, this year. But, you know, I feel like I was moving in the right direction. And, you know, even last year, um, you know, I was like, man, the season's done already, you know, by CME. Uh, and it just goes by so fast. And, you know, there's really no time for you to look back and, you know, worry about, hey, what could have happened, what I should have done. And, you know, um, so, I yeah, I always say no regrets made. Um, but you know, I feel like golf is such a confidence thing where, you know, you see everyone out here, the talent level is all pretty similar. But, you know, if you get, uh, you know, if you have a great week and you kind of gain that confidence, you kind of end up being on that momentum and keep playing well. And I think that's what golf is really about. And I think, you know, winning uh, in San Francisco earlier this year, that made me have, you know, top 10 the week after. So you just kind of you know, end up being stuck on a good momentum rather than going down and having those ups and downs. But, you know, it's a, uh, I almost felt like I put so much pressure on myself because, you know, I've been very lucky enough to you know, do a few of those things, you know, early in my career that, you know, the expectations were so high um, that, you know, even the when you come second I mean I came second I think three times last year and that, that's good but it's like oh you just didn't do as right. good so there were you know a lot of comparisons yeah. and uh but to me you know um you really can't do anything about it and all you can do is look forward and you know try and do whatever you think is going to be the best for you in the future in that moment is there any, been anything, I know a lot of people have made a big deal about the caddy changes and whatnot, but it seems like on the LPGA Tour, it's not necessarily a common <laughs> thing to have for people, for a ton of people to have the same caddy throughout. So is there anything that kind of has been misrepresented in the media about any of the changes you've made that like w that you would want to clarify or anything in that regard? What, what's, what's, what's out there that's really not the most accurate? Um, I think, you know, they, were, they said, oh, Lydia had like, I don't even know how many caddies I've had now, <laughs> but you know, my rookie year, um, I, you know, I obviously hadn't been around the LPGA a lot before my rookie year, so I didn't really know what exactly I needed as a caddy, because um, you know, for a lot of my events, my mom caddied for me at like the U.S. Women's Am, Australian Am, and you know, I was just used to her or somebody that I knew. So, you know, having a full-time caddy was definitely a new step for me, and. I too was learning and I'm still learning what I want and what I don't want. So um, that itself is a learning process. And, you know, the first year um, I actually had a lot, you know, I asked the caddy, hey, you know, is it okay if we work on a trial basis? And I think rather than me saying, you know, hey, I fired that person right. after a few weeks, it was more that, you know, I learned, okay, maybe I need somebody that does this a bit more. So I think that was kind of the trial process and uh, that ended up being a huge deal. But 
I mean, it's done. I, you know, it is true. I guess that I had, you know, whatever hmm. many caddies. Uh, but the perspective I had. on that's yeah. probably different than it's been reported. So, um, yeah. yeah, but no, it's. Uh, I feel like you no, know, even now, you know, I I learn. Oh, okay, at these times, I want my caddy to do this or help me with this, uh, whether that's in practice or on the golf course. And you know, you get to learn more about yourself too during this process and, and the people that you know you work with. Um, and you know, I still feel like. I'm young at heart. <laughs> you are still well, young. I was going to say, you're just still young, period. Young <laughs> on the passport and young at heart. Yeah. Sometimes I don't feel young when I'm playing like five weeks in a row. But um, no, it's uh, I feel like I'm getting to learn more about myself. And I think, you know, learning is something that you never really stop doing. Yeah. yeah. I, I was going to ask, kind of speaking of, of your age, I, I just, you're in such a unique position where you're kind of a veteran out on tour a little <laughs> bit, but yet you are still so young. I, I was just curious, do you find yourself, you know, seeking out advice from older players or, you know, maybe more so on the flip side, are you kind of helping out, you know, new players onto the tour? How, how does, you know, where do you find yourself in that balance? Yeah. Um, you know, I've, I think, you know, any of the players, if you ask them a question about, you know, technical side or just their experience, you know, they're very open to say anything, uh, say, you know, what they think. Um, and, you know, I feel like I'm more in that position, even though, I mean, this is my fifth year on tour, but, you know, there's, you know, like Christy, she's been on tour longer than I've been alive. You know, that's, <laughs> you know, um, so it's, that's you know, that's, it's just pretty cool, you know, what golf is and uh, that you can play for a really long time and you know I'm sure you know players like Julie let's say she's you know met a lot of people in different generations and she's a huge role model to you know people in in the women's game too so I think I'm definitely the one that is asking rather than the one that's asked um but yeah you know people because I've been around a longish time uh, and I feel like hey you know Brooke's only uh, 20 and at that time I was 22 and I'm like yeah I am too <laughs> yeah. yeah but um no it's just I think I've been very lucky to have come on tour at a younger age um and you know just get to experience this but I think that's the cool thing about golf is that there's really age is a number and experience is kind of a whole different thing I've heard in interviews you say that you are potentially interested in stop playing golf around the age of 30. Has that changed at any point or why have you picked out that age or why is that that you don't picture yourself playing past the age of 30? Um, when I'm having harder weeks, I'm like, okay, 25. <laughs> um, but no, it's, uh, I don't know how I thought of 30, but I thought 30 was a good age to, you know, stop playing competitive golf. Um, I mean, I started playing when I was five and, you know, pretty much up until that time until now, you know, my life has really been you know, circled around golf. Um, so I thought that time would be good. And then for me, like even after I retire, it doesn't mean I'm not going to work or anything. Sure. Who knows? I might be in your guys' shoes one day. Um, <laughs> do not start a podcast. Yeah. Right? <laughs> don't do this. No, we don't need any competition. <laughs> At least you have like cool mics and yeah. all. <laughs> well, we try. Um, but no, it's, uh, you know, I want to do things outside of that. You know, I, I really want to study a little bit more, you know, maybe along the lines of counseling so I can, you know, maybe help people. I think there's so many cool things I can do around golf whilst not playing golf. So, yeah, yeah you know, I think. 
I don't know how I came up with that number, but I thought something around that would be good. And yeah, I know, have a family, who knows? I mean, that's way too early to talk about family right now. But uh, yeah, no, I just, um, I thought that was a good number. And it's um, a lot of the, you know, on years, big sisters on tour, they're like, oh, you know what? You probably get up to that age and go, oh man, I'm already 30. Like I still want to play. So. It's going to happen fast. Yeah. I, I was going to say, as someone on the other side of 30, when you know, when I was 20 or, you know, whatever 30 seems so far away but man it, it comes quick yeah that's what they said they're like okay they said their goal was to play until they're 30 and then they're like oh i'm 31 now you know it's yeah. a, it just hits you really quick so um i but i think i would never retire before knowing exactly what i want to do afterwards i think that's the big key for me and you know there's no point me you know saying you know drop the clubs and go okay and so what do i do now i want to be prepared uh you know for that moment Makes sense. So, all right. Well, Lydia, thank you so much for your time. Best of luck this week. Uh, I hope the weather is a little different than what we got today. Um, we'll let uh, we'll let Barb get her office back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Barb, if you're listening, I, we're sorry. We're sorry for unplugging your <laughs> we phone. We hope it we wasn't an urgent. Phone. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, thank you so much for joining us in a in a major week. I know it's not the easiest thing to do. So, best of luck this week. Thank you, yep. guys. Thanks, Lydia. All right. Thank you to Lydia for the time. That was really fun. And uh, as mentioned in the beginning, uh, we have another interview here with Karen Stupples from the Golf Channel. Please stick around for this one. I promise you'll enjoy it. Some awesome insight from her uh, on her career, her story, which is her background is incredible. I promise that story is going to shock you a bit, uh, as well as some uh, things she's learned in her announcing career on the Golf Channel. So here is Karen Stupples. All right, welcoming in, uh, I don't know if I technically would call you a pro-am partner from yesterday, considering you are a professional golfer. I, I, mm-hmm. I mean, we tied for second in the net score yesterday. This is Karen Stupples we're talking with. Do we get disqualified because you're not an am? We had, we were cheating. She we, was a she was a ringer yeah. for sure. I, I, I was, and I will confess to that. That being said, I really haven't played much golf, and probably I play less golf than anybody of those amateurs that were playing in the field. So technically, I think I'm good. It didn't seem that way, but you <laughs> you had you had some shots that were a little. The rust was there, but then you would show that your three wood into the par three. Tell us that story. What who well, your closest to pin and who you beat? Yeah. Well, well, all of a sudden we're we're playing and and golf. Central show up on the scene to film Michelle Wee who was our partner and and she was tremendous all day long so all of a sudden I feel like a little bit of pressure because these are the people that I work with now I'm like okay I've got to show them that I can actually still play every once in a while so Michelle Wee stands there just kind of eases a seven wood in I'm like I'm gonna have to muscle a three wood (laughs) because that's how things are these days for me so I I whacked a three wood up there and uh, sure enough I hit it to three feet seven inches but it was even better because I beat Jerry Foltz who was in the group of front of, in front of us who thought that he had hit a career forearm to I think he said six feet and right. then after that my boss Molly Solomon who's in charge of Golf Channel she hit one to about five feet so I beat her too so uh, I'm not sure if I'm in their good books or not no, but I don't be, care I'm like one up you're going to be rubbing much. that in their faces a little <laughs> absolutely bit, so. I will say too just I you know I had the pleasure of walking with you guys and, and seeing everything you know Karen started out playing from the pro tees the back tees mm-hmm. and, and i think you know i think you guys turned in maybe four under as a as a team and that competitive you know light yeah. switch kind of came on on the back nine and so she moved forward as she was allowed to do technically under the rules 
And, and I think she was certainly gunning for uh, the, the pro-am title. Yeah. Well, but I mean, on that hole with the closest to pin, she's like, I better play this from the back. She did geez. play it back. Because I knew. I'm like, yeah. okay, this is closest to the pin. I've got to go back. Yeah. But, yeah. It's, it's, but even then, moving up, it really didn't help. Because the further I moved up, the more wayward I got off the tee. So I'm like, okay, it's not helping anybody. <laughs> so I think for most people listening by this point, they're recognizing your voice, at least, even if they even if they maybe not were familiar with what you do. So tell mm-hmm. us, we'll get into your background a bit, but tell us what people would know you from these days. Primarily, I cover LPGA tournaments for, for Golf Channel. Um, I'm either in the booth when Judy Rankin doesn't want to work, and then otherwise I'm on the ground as uh, Jerry Foltz's backup. And uh, I have a great time doing it. Uh, still get to travel around and talk about golf, and I love solving problems when it comes to golf. I love looking at people's swings. I love figuring out what makes them tick, what what, why they were successful or, or why things didn't work out quite so well that week for them. It's, uh, it's just a big puzzle for me, and, and that's what I find incredibly fun about it. You are yourself a major champion. You won the, the Open Championship in 2004 Four. Okay, mm-hmm. at Sunningdale. So you now are on this side of the, of the ropes. We're here at the KPMG Women's PGA Championship, obviously. You are now covering this as a major. What kind of perspective do you have now that you're removed from the game watching these competitors play a major that maybe you wish you had when you were playing majors in your day? Well, this is this is a, a tremendous one. And, and what KPMG and the, the PGA of America have done with this is, is they've they formed a, a tournament that really was on life support as the LPGA Championship. And, and I remember playing the, the my first one, my first LPGA championship at DuPont Country Club. It then moved to Bully Rock. And then after that, it really was on life support. It went to Locust Hill. Wegmans took it over. It went from a regular tournament at Locust Hill to a, to a major. And it was really struggling. And I think that what this has done is made a, a really sort of, a, I would say, almost the best tournament in women's golf and I think it's you know it's only four years in and it's already starting to feel that way all the players talk about how well things are run how extremely good you know their services are you know the food in the clubhouse the condition of the course everything is really well organized they love the fact that KPMG is is supporting women in all manner of ways the fact what KPMG are doing for Stacey Lewis is tremendous in terms of keeping her sponsorship going while she's pregnant and because most people most most companies prorate that so if, if you're supposed to play in your contract 20 events if you can only play 10 they'll take half your money mm. away. So, mm. you know, for them to support Stacey through that is, is pretty huge. And just in general, I think players love being here. And now as I look on it, yes, I'd love to be playing in this event. It would be tremendous to to have, this, to, to be shown this kind of respect uh, for, for your game. Um, do I miss playing? No, no, I don't miss it at all. I watch the grind. I, I see them every single step of the way. You know, they're, they're working hard, they're training. The practice hours, I mean, just looking at it now, right now, I don't have to worry about slogging my way around that golf course because it's a bit of a slog out there. It's yeah. it's beautiful, but it's tough and it's wet and it's long and the greens are treacherous and I just get to talk about them now. So it's a, it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> There's not much left of the golf course after I dug up most of it yesterday with my divots. But well, <laughs> I, I just wish I'd saved them all and taken them home to uh, do my yard with them. <laughs> well, it's, it's interesting you say that about KPMG and, and, and kind of – you know, and being here, we have much more experience being at PGA Tour events than we mm. do LPGA events. But 
the infrastructure and the support around the event. I mean, we were blown away at the skills mm-hmm. challenge on Monday. I mean, all the athletes they brought in yep. for that, the fact that they're doing it for the kids and they rented out soldier field for a day for this. Yep. I mean, that those kind of things don't happen on the LPGA tour for the most part. No. So, I mean, it's The purse this week is fantastic as well. So it is kind of cool to see how excited the players are for all yeah. the things you mentioned mean a lot to players yep. and like the infrastructure around a tournament and the hospitality and the food and the location and the convenience really Th- things that, that you that I think PGA Tour pros can take for granted like sure. getting a courtesy car every week that doesn't happen on the LPGA Tour but they know when they come here they're going to get a courtesy car yeah so it's just nice to know that you're going to be taken care of and looked after definitely so you, you t- we, we kind of jumped into you know you, you being a major champion and what you do now, but I want to hear kind of a bit of your background and how you got into professional golf. And mm. there's a pretty excellent story that you told yesterday <laughs> about how you ended up getting, uh, getting out there and playing professional full time. So it was crazy. Um, growing up as a as a little little girl on the southeast coast of England, I had no idea what professional golf was all about. I just knew that I loved to play golf, and I the only professional tournaments I'd ever seen for women was the the Women's British Open that was the only thing I, that I knew was any that was out there for me to, to play in can we get this on record we have a Brit that called it the British Open yeah I was going yeah. to correct you it's for anybody the technical the open term champion. though Women's British Open it's okay oh that's true okay, yeah you're the right. Women's one is fine you're right. if, okay. if I'm talking about we get the a, Open we get a lot of grief from British <laughs> listeners that we, we're actually steering into it now and we're calling right. it the UK British Open but uh, <laughs> they give us grief for calling it the British Open but sorry to interrupt but continue no 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 and so um, so I would watch that and, but not really realising what was out there but my golf progressed really really quite quickly um, I became very good early played for England and and that essentially got me a scholarship to to play in America so I came out here to college went through through the college system where did you go I went to well my freshman year I went to Arkansas State in Jonesboro Um, but one of the provisions that I'd said to the coach was I, I just don't want any snow well, it snowed. So I'm like, okay, uh, time to move on. So I, luckily they, they were great. They let me, they released me and they, I transferred, went to Florida State. So I became a Seminole, had a good time there. Had you ever been to the States before had coming n- over for college? Never been, uh, never, never traveled. And my parents just put me on a plane at Heathrow and said, uh, bye. Good <laughs> I luck. Had, yeah. And it was a crazy thing. I came with my suitcase and uh, my golf clubs and that's all I had in the whole world. And I got dropped off at my dorm. There was nothing in my dorm. The bed had no sheets, no ta- hmm. I had no towels, yeah. I had no nothing. And I'm like, oh, I didn't think of this. You didn't have a car probably Didn't have yet. a car, I had nothing. And uh, luckily, my the one of the other girls who was playing on the golf team was going to join me. She came the next morning and she said, oh, she said, you don't have anything. Because I just slept on, on a bare mattress that night. Oh. And uh, she said, you really have nothing to do. I said, no, this is all I have. And she <laughs> said, we need to get you to Walmart. So off we went. We went to Walmart. and, and That's and I a great up. first American experience yeah, to Walmart. go to Walmart. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm like, this is the greatest store Especially ever. Especially in Arkansas, too. Well, yeah, it's, it's like, home of. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's the greatest store ever, though, to me that morning because I finally had bed stuff and a towel yeah and so then from college did you go back you went back to the UK I did. after that um I, I always knew that that by the time I got to college it opened my eyes to LPGA I'm like okay this is where I want to be this is what I want to do but I I didn't know how to get here my family really don't have a lot of money my at the time um my mum was pressing blouses in a, in a factory and my dad was directing traffic around the port of Dover so my family doesn't have very much and the, the thought of you know being able to rely on them just wasn't there whatever I was going to do I was going to have to do for myself so I 
made the Curtis Cup team, played on that, continued with my amateur career, but also at the same time I worked pretty much full-time at a golf course called Etching Hill, doing bar work and waitressing and whatever I could do to to make ends meet and and try and find time to practice a bit of golf along the way. And as it turned out, one of the tables, one of my regular customers was coming in and eventually he asked me, his name was Keith Rawlings, and he said to me, why haven't you turned pro yet? I keep seeing your name in the paper. You keep winning these amateur events. What's going on? I said, well, I'm working hard. I'm just trying to save the money to try. So I I gave him a little rundown of the story of, you know, needing money to enter Q school and to travel to America to do all of this. He said, oh, he said, that's interesting. So I cleaned cleaned the trays off and bring some dessert out. And he said, "Uh, my wife and I have been talking. We'd like to give you the money to try. And I'm like... What? Wait, what? And she said, no, 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 we, we really mean it. She said, his wife, Sue. She said, uh, we've been very lucky all our lives. We, people have treated us well and we feel like you really deserve a chance. You work hard and we want to see you at least have a go at it. I was, so I was completely blown away. So she said, come to, come to our office in the morning uh, with, a, with a budget and we'll go over it and see what we can do. So that night, like after finishing at midnight, I'm like scribbling my budget down, trying to get, I'm like, okay, cross the I's, dot the T's, okay, don't look like an idiot, try and make this look like professional. I go into uh, to their office the next morning and he, he barely even even looked at, looked at it and said, that's fine. He said, I'll give you it for three years because I don't want you to feel like you have any pressure the first time to make it. So off I went with... Uh, with the, his financial help and I got my card the first time and I've never looked back since and that was it without his help mm. I could still be waiting tables mm. waiting to turn pro at Etching Hill because it, at three pounds an hour it doesn't get you very far it's amazing <laughs> like you told that story <laughs> yesterday and yeah. I just was like all right we have to have her on the podcast <laughs> immediately I mean that's the butterfly effect in life I, I mean that's your no better example of anything than that I mean you made a a full career of you just retired what in 2014 so you had a long career I mean especially in women's golf I mean careers don't seem to last as long as they do in men's golf but and I was curious I mean uh, you know we talked to a lot of girls out here and we talked to you know we're gonna talk to Brittany Lincecum today who's Mm -hmm. 32 who is well past the median age I think out Mm -hmm. here on tour for those listening at home why does the median age or the the age in the on the LPGA tour uh, trend so young compared to men's golf do you have any insight on that well, I really think a lot of it is to do from a young age that, that the women mature physically a lot earlier than the guys and almost to a certain extent mentally as well. And, uh, and you don't need a huge amount of power to be successful on the LPGA Tour. If you look at the recent world number ones, you look at Lydia Ko, Imbi Park, who's currently the world number one, they're not the longest players in the world. They're, they're very average off the tee. So you don't need to develop physically to get the power to play golf well enough to be competitive on tour. So what you're seeing is that they're very well coached, they come to this early, and 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 here they are, they're ready to play golf. They're not scared, you know, the youngsters aren't scared. And in many ways, I can see the advantages of it because at some point, as a woman, you, you have to make a decision. Do I want to have a family? Am I going to try and play when I have a family? Or can I get all my golf in and then just do a Lorena Ochoa, retire and have a family. So all of these things you you kind of think of, but you don't think of, but that's definitely a, a part in, in sort of nature's way of, of progressing. And, and one of my biggest beefs at the moment is the fact that the Senior Open, the Senior Women's Open is coming up. It's the first year they've, they've had it. They're starting at 50. In my mind, 50 is too old. Yeah. 
And even the, the Legends Tour is at 45 starting is too old. I think all of senior women's golf should literally start at 40 because if you look at comparing like-to-like uh, -like with the PGA Tour, you've probably got about four players on the PGA Tour that are competitive on the PGA Tour at 50. And it's very much the same on the LPGA Tour. You've probably got about four players over the age of 40 that are competitive. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, is, the, is where it needs to, needs to go because... By the time you have players, women players reaching 50, they've already quit playing for about 15 years. And it's so hard sure. to, to, to get going, or if not 15 years, at least 10 years. And it's so hard to get back into it. So that's really, that's really my thing. But I, I think that it's just maturing so young and, 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 and it being available and having role models that have already done it that they can see, oh, well, if Lydia Ko can do it, then why can't I? Do you, so you, you told me yesterday, I hope you don't mind me kind of repeating this, mm. but you said you're just coming out of uh, your phase where you, you really hated golf. Yeah. You know, kind of natural, you know, you'd retired and <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> been away from the game and, you know, just playing a little bit frustrating. Um, yeah. So I'm just curious, do, do you have any plans? Is that something that, do you ever see yourself returning to play competitively? I think that I would like to play every once in a while because not from a desire to compete per se but a desire to remind myself of the daily grind and how hard it is for the players that I talk about now I think that that they deserve that from me because it's very easy for me to sit there in the 18th tower or on the course and pass judgment and comment on their performance and that's, you know, that's what I'm paid to do. I'm, I'm there to be, and I try and be as fair as I possibly can and as, and as honest. And I try and put myself, I try and critique them as if I would do myself. Um, mm -hmm. And so it's, it's only fair that I should remind myself of exactly what it takes to do what they do day in, day out. Because when you don't do it, you, you, it's very easy to forget how hard it actually is playing professional golf and all the sacrifices that you make along the way to, to get to that point. So I think it's it's more from a learning perspective. I did play a tournament in 16. I played at, at ShopRite in Atlantic City and didn't make the cut, hit some really good shots, hit some very bad shots. But to me, what I learned from that experience was how fine a line playing, uh, the, the, the difference between a 65 and a 72 is. Mm -hmm. uh, you can be three feet off from 160 yards out and you miss that little ridge in the green and it comes trickling all the way back down and you end up off the front edge of the green. Then from the front edge of the green, you've got to have a chip up. If you miss your pitching landing area by six inches, you're, again, you're 20 feet past the hole. And that's how bogeys happen. You, you know, from 165 yards out, three feet of difference. It's not very much. That's how precise you have to be uh, to have a good score. And so that's really what i became very aware of that that's and what's keeping us from 65 that's all it is we're three feet away from 65 it, it was a at, at meta hill uh championship in uh in uh san francisco their their, their title were inches make all the difference yeah, I like that. We had a giggle about yeah. it at the time, but you know. <laughs> I, I was I was just going to quickly follow up. Was it um, difficult at all uh, in your new role as a commentator? Did it take some getting used to to be a little bit critical of players, or were you at all apprehensive, kind of stepping into that role? 
I think yes. Uh, there's no doubt about it, and, and it takes a while for for, for you to to find your voice mm-hmm. to really to really understand that what that what you're saying has value, or that is actually it's not just correct to your own personal game, but it's co- correct to everybody's game because ultimately golf is golf. It doesn't matter whether you're Tiger Woods, whether you're Lydia Ko, you're still trying to get the ball in the hole in as few shots as possible. So. It, it, when I look at that, I'm like, you know, as a player, if somebody had, if I can go home at night and say, if somebody had said that about me, how would I have reacted? And would it be, was it, would it, was it a fair comment to make? And if I can go home and say it was a fair comment, then that's totally fine. If I can leave any kind of emotional, um, you know, if it's a player that, I'm, that I might not be that friendly with, I might not like that much, or if it's somebody that I really like, you know, it, it's you try and leave all that you put all that to one side and just try and look at it completely objectively it's like okay what's just happened and if I can go home at night and say that to myself then then I'm pretty then I can give myself a little pat on the back and feel like okay that that was fine and and I've had a few confrontations I've had uh I've had a confrontation with a coach and one with a player about something that something that I've said and uh, and I'm probably going to get ready to have another one later this week. So <laughs> so I'm I'm bracing myself for it. But there are times when I there are things there are just things that I see. I'm like I, and it comes from a perspective of wanting to help as much as anything. It's mm-hmm. like I see talented players. I'm like, why why are things not going the way they should be going? And that's what you're paid to do, right? Is yep. to give your opinion on that, your yep. perspective on it. You have all this experience in the game. You know, if if it's it's me or, or Randy here doing that analysis that doesn't mean nearly as much but i imagine that that the fine line between like taking what you observe and determining kind of what you think on it and also the difference between that and projecting onto Mm -hmm. it be like oh it must be a mental thing versus you know kind of from my perspective i think she might be battling with this i think that is kind of a got to be a tough line to balance i imagine it 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 is It, it it is and it's and it's um as i said it's it's hard because you know that every week you're going to see the same players sure. and, and you're going to be covering the same people. And and again, I don't want to hurt their golf games and I don't want to cause conflict with them or their coaches or anybody else because I know as a player how important it is to have one universal voice in your head when you're standing over a golf shot. You don't need conflicting ideas. That's that's horrible. And and I will always try and approach a, a coach uh, for their input and their 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 things first before I before I make any comments on what they're actually doing because I think that's important to get that one voice you owe that to them at least yeah Yeah, exactly there are times when coaches don't want to help you too and that that I find that immensely frustrating because ultimately I'm trying to help their players you know I also want to sound informative and knowledgeable on tv but I'm also trying to help their players by not asking them directly about it and then and then have that in their minds have you ever had any slip-ups on the air or any curse words? Or how do you avoid, how do you avoid <laughs> saying curse words on the air? Well, I actually was on really good behavior yesterday on the golf course too. <laughs> and, I, and I had to engage the same policy that I take when, uh, <laughs> when I'm going on air. Because typically if I'm just playing golf, if I'm living normal life, I'm, my language can be pretty ripe. I'm, it's, uh, I can throw f-bombs as good as i can throw golf clubs you know it's 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 the the two go hand in hand and typically if a golf club is thrown so is an f-bomb and everything else so i figure that if i get all my f's out before i go on air 
I do good. So, so if you're ever walking past the porter toilet at an LPGA event and you hear this F F F D F F F F F, that's me in there getting them all out. <laughs> that would make me more likely to say it. I think I don't know how you do that. Well, I, it's, it's, I, I always had a theory with patience too. My theory on patience is that every day you wake up with a certain allotment of patience, and I used to call them tokens. You know, it's okay, I've got all these patient patience tokens, and how I choose to use them is, is, is what I do throughout the course of the day. When I play golf, they could go on the first hole. Patience tokens, gone, out the window, done. I've spent them all on the first hole. But, but it made me more aware. It's like, okay, I, I need to be conscious of how I'm spending my patience tokens mm-hmm. uh, throughout the course of a round of golf. And it enabled me to kind of stretch things out a bit. When I became a mother and you have a two-year-old, those patience tokens went really quickly. <laughs> what about when you miss short putts um, and there's potentially water hazards nearby? Oh, yeah. Are there ever any incidents with that? <laughs> well, if uh, if you go to uh, – there's a guy on Twitter called Ghost of Hogan. And if you go on his Twitter site, you'll be able to see him swimming around in a pond at Columbia Edgewater Country Club. It's where they, where they play the Portland Classic Columbia Edgewater Country Club. And played golf with Jerry Foltz, myself, Paul, the assistant there, Ghost of Hogan, and the, and the head pro, Brian. And we had this match, and it was Brian and I against Paul and Jerry. So it's a very tight match, and we get through to the eighth hole on the tournament course, which is the 17th hole that, that the members play. And so, and it was our 17th hole of the night, and it was dark. And I've hit a great shot in there, par three, water hazard on the right. And I am so so fed up because I've missed putts all day long and this is a brand new putter Shh, don't tell anybody <laughs> and uh, and I just couldn't help myself I, I Jerry had made his putt I missed my putt it was literally three feet and I'm, I was so mad because I'd hit such a good shot and I've been missing them all day like I'm like I did the classic golf pro move throw the ball into the water I like so I winged the ball into the water and then uh, and then after that I'm like that's not enough there has to be more. I'm like, what's more than that? Okay, putter's gone too. So I literally double-handed it, winged it in the water, made a big splash. And there was a ton of F-bombs. <laughs> and any other bad curse word that you could possibly imagine came out of my mouth. Meanwhile, they're all rolling around on the floor, dying, laughing at me. But uh, yeah, so so Ghost, Paul, went swimming for that putter. Uh, couldn't find it, but I, I think it's like a scalibur. I think it's one of those things that, you know, the lady of Columbia Edgewater Lake will kind of raise it out of the water and reveal itself to some worthy player that will actually make putts with it because it didn't work for me. So that was that. Do you have a most embarrassing moment uh, either announcing or walking a golf course? <laughs> yeah, I do. Of course I do. I have, I have embarrassing moments all the time. Um, biggest one recently was at the President's Cup. And uh, I was following Charlie Hoffman and Jason Day in a singles match. And it was a fairly quiet day for me on the golf course, which as a on-course commentator, it can be that way. Sometimes you might call three shots over the course of a four-hour show. So I was out there just kind of rolling around, not really... I was paying attention, but knowing that they weren't going to come to me. So I was kind of just enjoying my little walk a bit. And I saw Charlie hit a ball and it looked like it was going into the left bunker. So I'm like, okay, I'll just, you know, wander up. And you kind of, you have a little hustle on, but not too much. And so I'm walking, walking, walking. And I I know Charlie is just literally 10 steps right behind me. So I'm like, okay, I've got to really kind of get out of the way here because he's catching me pretty quick. So I'm on go slow. And as I'm walking up, I felt this 
ball on my foot and I've made contact with his golf ball. I'm like, shit. I was so, I was like, okay, let the ground swallow me up. Cause I literally, I turned around and Charlie said, oh, you just kicked my ball. I said, yeah, luckily I don't have a strong leg. It only went a yard, <laughs> but it was so bad. I was so, so embarrassed, but he was great about it. It was no big deal. And we, and I followed him a couple of other times since, and he's been totally cool, but they just replaced it where it was and it's no big deal. So you should have told him you had a terrible lie. I actually yeah. did you a favor that helped a little bit. So there's actually a cool story from your British open win. Um, mm. you were telling me about, and, uh, just about going into the season, you didn't know much about Sunningdale. You weren't yeah. sure about your, your matchup there. So you had someone there in your ear that was telling you something different. It's true. I, at the start of the year, I used to sit down with my golf coach, Chip Kelkey, who was at the, the Marriott uh, golf, golf Academy there in Orlando. And he's since moved on, but he was tremendous coach. And we would sit down, start of the season, and, and work through the schedule to work out what tournaments I would play, where I, where I would miss, how, how to maximize my performance, basically. So we were going through it, and uh, he said to me, how do you feel about Sunningdale, you know, which was where they played the, the, the British Open and I'm like well I'm not really sure it's neither you know I, I played it many times growing up I'm like yeah it's neither inland it's not really links it's kind of a bit in between I just a bit ho-hum about it and he said to me he said well for some reason he said I think you're going to have a great week there I'm like wow and sure enough came off with the win I mean I don't even know how or why he even thought that but he just had a feeling for it and you had an albatross Started Eagle Albatross in the final round. Five under par through the first two holes. It was the first two holes? First yeah. two holes of the final round. I, so that was going to be my question. What? <laughs> Standing on the third tee, what was going through your mind? <laughs> well, um, I literally, you know, my caddy, who, who, who was my ex-husband at the time, we still got on great. That's no big deal. But he was your ex-husband as he was caddy. Yeah, he, he was my husband at the time. He's now my ex. Gotcha, but, okay. so, but so he said to me, let's go shoot 59. I'm like... <laughs> All right, <laughs> like, but I was in, I was in just one of those in my own little world. I mean, they talk about the zone. I mean, I literally was in my own little world, in my bubble. Nothing else was going on around me, but I really felt like I was going to make everything. So I stood on the next tee, hit a great shot, and then I hit a fifty-two degree wedge on the next hole. The for all intents and purposes, I thought I was going to hole. It was right on line. It just landed just a bit short of the hole and then spun back to about 20 feet. But it looked like I'd made another one. I'm like, oh, made another one. Here we go. And uh, it was just one of those days where I kind of fell a bit flat in the middle, uh, but just did, you know, kept kept well enough ahead of Rachel Heatherington, who was chasing me at the time. And then I stood on the 15th tee, and all of a sudden I, I had a weight, and I realized I could win the British Open up until that point I didn't even it wasn't even in my mind about winning it I'm like oh my god I could win this 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 is it and I had a one-shot lead at that point all of a sudden I got really nervous I was gonna say that I'm like that's when the nerves kicked in Prince Andrew shows up on the tee the owner of the sponsor shows up on the tee the whole of the gallery is now following my group I'm like oh this is really happening and uh, for some reason like with all things that happen with golf you know good things you know you can tell if if it's meant to be for a player and it was meant to be for me that that week because that hole the 15th I managed to scrape a seven wood around the green on a par three but I made a putt from about 30 feet that lipped in on the low side putts never lip in on the low side but that one did so then I finished birdie 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 par and one by five and that was it 
Would you say you married the speed and the line of that? Mar- oh, the speed were perfectly married. So oh. give us that. You you have a uh, you have kind of a list of cliches of some kind of yeah. things you don't want to say on the air. What are some of those? I hate I hate the ball rolling end over end because the ball's round. How can it roll? It doesn't have an end. It just rolls. So that's that's a that's a little pet peeve. I heard, now that you pointed some of these out yesterday, I heard like one of them on an interview, and I'm like, oh, now I'm going to hear it everywhere. So like, these are going to be like once you hear them, you can't unhear them. The no, glass breaking moment. Exactly, and I, I'm not a big fan of the fairway metal either. No, okay. it's, a, it's a word. It's a it's a word. It's better than less than driver. Uh, She's going with less than driver here. Okay, that, that doesn't help us. <laughs> that's, that's true. Well, and, and the only reason why you'd say that is because. You, you're not right by the T and you can't see right. if it's actually a hybrid or a three-wood or a five-wood and the caddy hasn't given you a signal. Sure. And you're like, I don't know what it is. It's something I'm going to have a guess. I've got nothing good right. to add apart from that it's not a driver. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, what's the other one? that I look, The marrying the speed and the line. It's like, well, that's fairly obvious. <laughs> you know, but And again, it's sometimes... That's the only thing that pops into your head because it's slow, it's so cliche that everybody wants to say it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just the only thing that is in there, and you know that something's got to come out. So that's what you reach for. <laughs> exactly. Left hand, right hand side. Oh, that's yeah. <laughs> I've, like I don't get that either. Why people say down the right hand side or down the left hand side when you can just say she is down the right or it's down the left because everybody knows what it what it is that was the glass breaking moment for yeah. me that one you're like yeah. oh yeah, yeah, yeah of course right. <laughs> <laughs> just simple things um i, w- I want to ask you you know the kind of the record breaking start there in the final round of the the women's british open mm-hmm. um i gotta be a record that i would imagine so <laughs> it's gonna be tough to beat that one but you also i'm curious if the record still stands so you set the uh scoring record mm-hmm. on the lpga tour with the cumulative 258 yep do you know it does that still does that still stand yeah it still stands okay uh, i think it's been done again but it still stands all right yeah how many under was that uh well it was a past 70 so i shot uh 63 66 66 63 you remember that off the top of your head like yeah. that <laughs> but I, but, and, and the only reason i say that is because i can't add up so that's 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 what i shot <laughs> and i'm not gonna even try and add that up <laughs> what's it like being in a, in in the zone uh, you know, it's one thing to do it over yep. the course of a round, but to kind of string four straight together. It's very, it's very difficult. You don't, and you, which is why you'll see uh, players have a really great round and then have a not so great round. That's one of the reasons, reasons I think that that happens is that you'll have it off and on throughout the course of the tournament. Some rounds you'll have it the whole time. And the, the goal is, is to get it as often as you possibly can, but it's so difficult and so rare to find. People ask me about that final round, and there's a, there's a bit of it in the middle that I really can't remember anything about it uh, because I hadn't, there, there was no film of it. There was no TV coverage from some of those shots. And if I hadn't seen it, I can't really remember, I couldn't remember it because I was so in my own little world and so in in just playing one shot at a time and doing that's that's another cliche thing <laughs> one, shot, <laughs> one at shot at a time. But players say that a they lot do. too. It's and part it's of a thought process. process. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's uh, if I haven't if I hadn't seen it, I would never know yeah. uh, what it was that and that's that zone. But it's but the process. We talked about the, pro- the process leads to the zone. Right. So the better yeah. you are with the process, the more likelihood you are of finding that. <laughs> it's uh, it's still elusive, and even for the best players in the world, uh, they they rarely find it. Yeah, I was gonna say if you if 
<laughs> if you knew how to, you know, get yeah. yourself into the zone, you know, you could bottle that up and, and it, make a lot of money. But I think it's a co- it's a combination of confidence as well as as well as the process and just uh, enjoying the fact that the ball is doing exactly what you want it to do. Mm-hmm. It's I, cyclical I think you get, too. I mean, yeah. it's like you, your good play is going to breed the confidence, which is going to yep. breed more good play, but you can't be confident if you're not playing well. So no. exactly. it's, and I don't know what comes first. And that's, that's the madness that you probably are, we're talking about when it comes to the grind of this yeah. game and the struggle does it come with it. I mean, it's just, I mean, Lydia Ko was number one in the world at the age of 19. And then two years later, it was like, what, what's, what seems to be going on here? It's, it can well, happen to literally anyone. So. It can. And, and I think Lydia, Lydia's change has been because she, she wants to improve. She wants to get better. She knows that if she sits still, there's going to be another talented player chasing her down and, and getting, and taking over that spot. And you can never sit still with golf. You've always got to keep trying to keep moving forward. And people always argue, well, if it, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Well, that's easier said than done when you know that there's potentially more within you to, to get out. And, uh, and I think that's what, what we saw with Lydia. She, but the trouble with her was that she did it all in one time. She did the clubs, that she did the, um, the caddy, she did the coach, she did everything all in sure. one fell swoop. And then she lost a lot of weight as well on top of it. And all of those things take, uh, take time to adjust to. We'll get you out of here on this. We hate making predictions, especially ahead of majors. Ooh. And even on the LPGA Tour, <laughs> we, would be, we would be even worse at it. Yep. Do you have a, I'm sure you get this question a lot, but do you have a pick coming into this week? And Oh, you know, it's funny, you know, picking, picking for this week, having played the course now, um, we've had a lot of rain here and it's playing long. Um, yeah. and, but you've got to be accurate too. You've, you've got to, I think, I think having a good caddy is huge this week. I think the person who has a great caddy is going to work out well because you've got to you've got to know how far the carriers are over the bunker. You've got to know how far it then is to run through to the next one. The greens are awkward angles from the fairway that they they slope they they diagonally slope towards the back of the green in, in terms of you've got to carry you, you know to carry the middle of the green is is more than to carry the front and and in the back you've got to know all those numbers There's you've got different to be quadrants all distance over them, control yeah. is is of a premium uh, and you have to look at people who have form coming in because you, you can't find form at a major you, you've got to have some kind of form coming in and you, you know it's hard to escape your Lexi Thompson who played well last week in Arkansas or Ariel Jutanagan also played well in Arkansas you know, as the winner of the US Open as well, plays well on really wet golf courses. US Open was soggy. Kingsmill, the other place that she won, also really soggy. And I think for her, she's a very, she's a bit of an iffy driver of the golf ball. You rarely ever see her with a driver in the hand. And I think when the golf course is wet, it almost feels like it's that much wider for her. Like she, because the fairways don't run out. It feels, I think she feels like she can open up a bit more and have more freedom. So I think that's why you see her do well on those on those courses. That those two would probably be my favourites, but I wouldn't rule out a, a Jessica Corder or a Nelly Corder or someone like that because their ball striking is just absolutely spot on. And uh, I I watched Nelly Corder play a couple of weeks ago at Meyer, and I don't think I've ever been more impressed with somebody's driving ever. Really? So that's kind of those are those would be my picks. I mean, you can never rule out an NB Park, sure. but I think this is a little too long for her of a golf course especially being so 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 wet 
You heard it here. Bomber's paradise here. So, yep. all right, Karen, thank you so much for your time and for being such an awesome pro-am partner. And, no, yeah. well, and, I uh, had a great team. Uh, it was a, it was <laughs> a really fun day. And we didn't lay up once. We so did not. <laughs> we did not. But sometimes to our detriment. But, no. Uh, no, never. <laughs> best of luck this week. Thanks so much for joining us. And uh, we'll be hearing you on the air. Sweet. Uh, thank you. Look forward to it. Thank you. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. 